0: But in the disappointment, there's hope on the other side of that, because you tap into this place of discovery that you never knew was possible, which really lends itself to a freedom that you walk in, knowing that you are who you are and, you know, you show up as yourself and people accept you for who you are. And if they don't, that's OK, too, because
1: you accept you for who you are. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Red, And welcome to the Betting on Yourself podcast, where I interview successful entrepreneurs, athletes, and other top performers who rose to the top, took success into their own hands, and bet on themselves. I couldn't think of a better way to end this season of betting on yourself than with my next guest. Where do I start? She's not only my beautiful, smart, and talented wife, but she's also a successful influencer, author, and champion for women who struggle with mental health issues. She is the founder of Real Girls Fart, which stands for Fearless, Authentic Rescuer Trailblazer, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping women with the tools they need to become their best selves. She's also the author of the award-winning book, Be Free, Be You, and an upcoming book, Authentic You, coming out this November. She discovered this calling of her life when she was diagnosed with general anxiety disorder back in 2016 and started blogging her journey from diagnosis to recovery, giving so many women who were struggling with the same issues the courage to get the help they needed. Now she's on a mission to help end the stigma associated with seeking mental health care, especially for women of color, helping them find their voice and just let it out. She's a true example of what it means to bet on yourself. I'm humbled, honored, and extremely proud to welcome to the show my lovely wife, Akia Red. This has to be probably my favorite podcast of the season. That's because I have my beautiful, incredibly smart wife on this edition of Betting On Yourself. Um, how do you interview your wife, right? But I'm gonna attempt to do that today. And if anybody epitomizes Betty on yourself, it has been this young lady that I'm about to interview, and that is the beautiful, the talented, the smart, Akia Red. Welcome to the show today, my beautiful honey.
0: Thank you for having me. Wow, I don't know what to do after an introduction like that. My goodness, especially you calling me a young lady. That's awesome. just yeah. turned 40, so I don't know how young I am.
1: Yes, you did. You just turned 40. Welcome to the 40 Club. But as you know, uh, this podcast has everything to do with bettering yourself. And uh, to end this season, I thought it would be appropriate to have you on on this podcast because you have an incredible story. And what you're doing today to help people all around the world has been really inspiring to me. So um, let me just ask you like I ask every other guest. Um, What has it meant to you to bet on yourself?
0: I think it's meant everything. Um, It was, you know, one of those things that I didn't choose, but it chose me. And then ultimately, I just got on board the train and took the ride. Um, And it's been a wonderful ride and we're still going. And um, it's just been really awesome to um, be on this journey with you and to see, you bet on yourself. We're betting on ourselves together, and uh, yeah, it's just—it's uh, super cool. My journey has been about what four years long now, so we've been going steady and strong, and uh, it's been—it's been a pretty good experience.
1: What does it specifically mean to you to bet on yourself? Well, marrying me—that was a big bet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. So I guess if you're asking for specific examples of where I may have actually took the plunge to bet on myself, yeah, the first one would definitely be uh, marrying you um, because that again was stepping into something that was unfamiliar and unknown. Um, Being the wife of an athlete and a very good athlete at that, that's always in the public eye is a very different experience. And not too many people can actually um, relate to that. So that was definitely um, a bet, but it worked out. (laughs) It turned out. (laughs) I think so. You're smiling. You got a smile on your face. Uh, Yes. Yeah. So um, you better not say no. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Listen, for you to make the bet on me, it was an incredible bet. Um, But I would, I would, go back probably further than that. I mean, you've always from talking to your parents and knowing you for pretty much all of our lives, you've always been I think a person destined for greatness. And we're seeing the fullness of that happen now. Tell me about your childhood. I mean, you're like me, yeah. da- daughter of a preacher's kid. Yeah. I mean, you're a daughter of a preacher. Um tell me about your environment and was your family atmosphere really pushing you towards being who you are now or tell me about the reinvention since your childhood.
0: Yeah. So like you, I grew up in a pastor's home um, and I think that um, while there are probably a a few positives to that um, there were also in my childhood, a few negatives. Um, My environment wasn't really an environment that encouraged self-exploration and self-discovery and questioning things. Um, My environment I grew up in was very much you play by the rules and you follow this path that I see for you. And because what I see for you is what God sees for you. And so for me, it was, um, not very encouraging, and I kind of just morphed into this person that I didn't even recognize and I think that when that happened to me, I carried the weight of being someone that I wasn't for a really long time until probably four years ago when I imploded and i mean you you were there um you saw what had happened to me emotionally um had first mental breakdown, um, emotional breakdown four years ago. And I think it was just is as painful as that experience was, I think, you know, it did come from me carrying the weight of bearing the vision and dream of someone else that they had for my life. Um, and that's a heavy weight to carry. And so I was carrying that weight for all of, what, 36 years um until i you know just couldn't carry it any longer and i had grown really weary and my whole nervous system started to shut down and so there had to be a change that needed to be made and that's why i said you know earlier that i didn't necessarily choose the path of mental health awareness it chose me and um it really helped me reinvent who i was and helped me get on that path to discovering who Akia was and what I was meant to do. And I couldn't be happier actually, you know, with me taking the risk and stepping out there kind of like Tarzan, right? Like I talk about that Tarzan, like faith where, you know, in the story of Tarzan, you see him in order for him to the next vine to appear, he has to jump off of the vine that he's on. And so that was kind of my journey four years ago. It was just like, I had to jump off jump from the vine I was on of, you know, I was singing and, you know, doing music at church and all of that. And that was all someone else's dream and identity of who I was. Um, And I had to jump off of that one. And then as soon as I jumped off midair, the next vine appeared. And that vine was, you know, obviously um, blogging about my experiences with uh, my journey through mental health And then when I jumped off of that vine, the next vine of becoming an author of my first book, be free, be you, that was the next vine, and so on and on it goes. And I think, you know, we have a lot of those vines that take place in our life. The interesting thing that just came to me is that when you jump off of the vine you're you're on, sometimes you're in (laughs) midair, which (laughs) kind of signifies being in limbo, right? And Being in limbo is uncertain and it's scary and you don't know what that is going to feel like and look like. And that was what when when my mental breakdown or emotional breakdown happened is when I was midair in limbo. And um, once I (laughs) got through that and um, worked through everything, the next fine definitely appeared. And, you know, it kind of set me up for the trajectory that I'm on right now.
1: That's so good. I've often said that sometimes self-discovery is a scary thing because self-discovery may change you your career. You may change geographical locations. You may even change relationships by discovering the real you. Talk about the emotions and the mindset um, that comes along with having your identity solidified and self-discovery. I mean, sometimes the boogeyman is... Discovering who we really are. Yeah.
0: And that's really hard when you have to look at yourself, you know, in the mirror and not really like what's looking back at you. And I think that that is what you mean. I think when you say the boogeyman is basically your reflection. Um, That was painful. It was painful realizing that I had to fix something that I didn't break. That was really hard. Um, Wow. And. You know, what was also really hard is, you know, in order to grab a hold of the dream, like the dream, and that means like the one or the one thing that you're supposed to be doing, you have to let go of another thing, which is, you know, a counterfeit dream. And for me, that looked like not only what I was doing as a career, but it also looked like relationships um, that were counterfeit and, you know, I talk a lot about, and you know, this is no secret, you know, like I don't have a great relationship with my dad. So, you know, I had to let go of that. You know, I had to let go of that dream um, of having a daddy, right? And that's one of the hardest things to do, right? Is to let go of a a dream of just, you know, of having that relationship with the parent because it brings about so much disappointment. And, um, but in the disappointment, there's hope on the other side of that because you tap into this place of discovery that you never knew was possible, which really lends itself to a freedom that you walk in knowing that you are who you are and you, know, you show up as yourself and people accept you for who you are. And if they don't, that's okay too, because you accept you for who you are.
1: You're one of the most courageous people I know in life, um, So, and it's the truth. Um, you have had a major impact on me, and I think it comes from you discovering you. And again, one perception of you was what you were doing in the church, yeah. singing, things of that nature. We connect, we get married, and you're thrusted into this whole MBA world right? where there's pressures to have a certain bravado and look a certain way and there's a false identity that can be attached to you in that world. Talk about um, the courage to not conform to that identity as well.
0: Oh, wow. That's a really, really good question. Yeah. So that was, you know, at the time that was right around um, when we got married, that was right around when Basketball Wives, the the reality show um, came on. And so obviously there was, you know, people had a perception obviously when they would come to the games or they would be at events and they would see the basketball players and their wives. So they didn't really know what happened, um, in those worlds. But when you have a reality TV show that kind of shines a light on what happens, um, and a lot of it, unfortunately was very much reality. I think, you know, you are, looked at is like, oh, okay, you're just, you know, a trophy wife or, oh, you're just, a, you know, um, arm candy and, you know, you're like, of course you don't have any dreams. Of course you're not, you know, like you, you know, you're just with this person for what he can do for you. And, um, and so there's a lot of um, prejudgment that goes into that from other people. And so you have to kind of let all of that noise fade away and then you have to really be courageous in the fact that, you know, you don't have to be impressive to anybody. You can, you know, look how you want to look. You know, really the only thing that matters is you have been comfortable in your own skin. And I think I've always had a little bit of that when, you know, when we first got together, there was parts of me that, you know, felt pressure at times to look a certain way or conform But all in all, um, the real me was kind of breaking out and, you know, was constantly at war with that, you know, um, need to be accepted by everybody. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it was it was a hard it was a hard thing to do um, and to to be myself. But I did it anyway. And um, I think for me, that's why you know, when we named the blog Real Girls Fart, which um, people snicker at it and it's cool because it's a, it's a catchy name, but I chose Fearless, Authentic, Rescuer, and Trailblazer for the very reason that those are the four words that really resonate with me and my journey. And in particular, the first one, Fearless, like, we talked about this. You said, do you think that you'll ever have to, you know, rename it or rebrand it? Because I don't know if we're ever fearless, we, you know, and I, for me, I think the word fearless, if I had to define it, it would be that you, not that you're without fear, but that you fear less, right? Not that you're fearless, don't have any fear, but that you fear less or that you're afraid of something and you do it anyway. And, you know, some people call that bravery and it is by default bravery. But, um, yeah, I never pretend to not be scared. Um, I just do it anyway. And I think that that's what separates me from, you know, some folks that maybe aren't willing to take the, the d- journey to self-awareness and self-discovery because it's scary.
1: I think that's one of the reasons why we love you, your family, your kids, and obviously your followers on your social platforms, they love the fact that you're so transparent and so vulnerable. Yeah, And that's how you live your life. And I think it's inspiring people all around the world. In fact, we know it is yeah. through the platforms that you created. Talk about how important it is to live your life aloud.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, again, you we keep You know, by accident pointing to (laughs) this platform that I created, the blog, Real Girls Fart, but like letting finding your voice and letting it out. And that's um, and so basically, you know, living your truth out loud is it means really everything to me. It means everything to my platform and my community that I've built online, um, because I don't really know any other way to be, honestly. And I know that that may sound cheesy or cliche, but I'm serious when I say that I've always been the person that has been an open book and very honest and truthful. I think there was probably a short period of time in my life when I was lying a whole lot and I didn't like the way that that felt. And so I felt like it was way too much work to keep up a facade and lie. So I just stopped doing it. And I only you know only to find out that you know people in my circle were encouraging me to continue that facade and to continue to lie and live a lie and um be a lie you know and so for me it's never set well to not be open to not be transparent to not be vulnerable i feel much better when i am honest when i'm living open What you see is what you get always. So who I am right now on this podcast is who I would be if you were in my living room or at a table for lunch talking to me. You know that. I don't really pretend to be someone that I'm not. Um, And I think it's also really important to help women know that they have to be vulnerable and transparent to actually better themselves. And to get to the greater side of things, to the greener side of the grass, if you will. Um, I don't know anybody who's completely happy in living a lie. In fact, I don't know anybody who's happy at all in living a lie um, because it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of energy.
1: So we fast forward to four years ago. I'm with you in this journey yeah. and the diagnosis of anxiety disorder yeah. comes into play, but... A beautiful thing comes about from that. You start blogging about your experiences and your journeys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk about the blog, Real Girls Fart.
0: Yeah. I So when I first got diagnosed, of course, it was a hard pill to swallow because mental health is definitely under talked about and napped.
1: And at that point, mental health was not a sexy topic of discussion. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, now it's becoming more of a topic. I mean, obviously, because of what's going on in our world and obviously, you know, because there's been several um, famous people that have come out and started talking about their mental health journeys. But um, four years ago, that was not the case. So I was actually a trailblazer <laughs> in doing that, which is the last word or the T word in fart. And so um I think the reason why I started blogging was because I'm a writer by trade. So it was therapeutic for me. I never intended to impact or influence um, the amount of people, women, um, that I talk to and influence. Um, But I think just me being very honest about my journey, um, I wanted other people to understand that they weren't alone. And that it was okay to feel these things and it was okay if you have um, a label that's put on you because it's really, it doesn't define you. The diagnosis doesn't define me. It's a part of me. Um, And it doesn't matter how terrible the diagnosis is or no matter what they call it, you know, and um, there are a lot of people that are, that talk to me that are diagnosed with a lot of things um, that, you know, and they live it's hard for them but what i help them do is to own the diagnosis and then once they own the diagnosis okay like let's accept it and then let's follow our treatment plan and let's stay on that path and then there's a life after that and you don't have to stay in your own shame of being diagnosed with something that you know is not pretty
1: so powerful and then you become an author yeah. which was a big bet on yourself. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. you had the natural gift of writing, yeah. but when you approached me about it initially, I was like, whoa. Yeah, I
0: know.
1: And <laughs> if you haven't read the book, go get the book, Be Free, Be You, which is so powerful and a great foundation of a number of books that are coming out from IKEA. But talk about that, that big bet on yourself to become an author.
0: So that was so, so scary. And I'll, I'll tell you why, not for the reasons that people might think, um, more so because it's, it's really easy to, when you're a writer and you, and, or you use writing for therapy to write your story on some pages on a computer or a piece of paper, what's hard is when you write your story and you send it to someone To scrutinize it. And that was what happened, you know, in the form of like my editing. When I sent my book to be edited, my story to be edited, and to risk Mm -hmm. having someone tell me this story is not good enough yet to be told, like you need to do more, or this is, you know, really heavily, you're paying them to judge it and to scrutinize it. And when I got my, manuscript back with all of these red marks in it. <laughs> that was the first uh, test um, of betting on myself like, whoa, wait a minute, do I really want to do this? like why like do I really want to put myself out there like that? The second test for betting on myself becoming an author was when I actually got the final manuscript and all the editing was complete and I was about to release it to go to print, knowing that the whole world, whoever wanted to know about my life, was going to know about my life, know about my parents, know about my childhood, all the the ugly stuff, putting myself out there like that, that was scary. Because at that point, it wasn't just me telling my story. It was me telling other people's stories. And so that was really uh, a big bet on myself. And then I would think that, I would say the third and final bet was probably when they sent my book for some reviews <laughs> and not every review was positive and I got some negative reviews and it made me like shrink a little bit and kind of go back into that, you know, shell. And I said, nope, like I got to you know what? That's that comes with the territory when you put yourself out there like that. Like it comes with the territory. And so, again, that's another example of just fearing less of what people are going to say because they're going to talk. They're going to say whatever. But I fear it less than I used to. And so, so much so that I put myself on the chopping block again <laughs> and did another book. And so it's coming out November 16th. It's called Authentic You. And um it's written especially with preteens and teenagers in mind. Um, but I will say that um, anybody can benefit from it because I, I, it's really me writing to my younger self as a 40 year old. And I think that that's a really cool take on um, just things and being able to tell a 12, 13, 14, 15 year old, everything that I would have wanted to hear when I was those
1: ages. It's an amazing Amazing book, um, and I'm looking forward to coming out and and, and people yeah. being really, really impacted by it. You, whatever you put your mind to, knowing you for the last 17 years, yeah, you're unstoppable. I'm pretty determined. You are determined. You're strong-willed.
0: Very gets <laughs> me in trouble sometimes. I'm like my one Arden, our daughter. Yes. yeah, that's like nine and a half, going on 25, and she gives me yes that strong will back. That I show and yes. I'm like, where did you get that from? Yes. Well, she got it from me. I mean, because she really is her mother's daughter. And um, she's like, you can't tell her that it won't be done.
1: Correct. <laughs> like and you are an inspiration to her. <laughs> and our kids are like us. But yeah. because Arden is is really, you know, so impacted by you, who inspires you to do what you do today? I, I know this answer but there's a number of women, people out there that have inspired you to do what you do. Who who specifically inspires you?
0: Ooh, there are quite a few of them. I mean, so I can't just say that there's one source of inspiration. Um, I will say this though, the number one source is my relationship with Christ. That is overall my inspiration. When everything dries up, <laughs> I always go back to that um, because that is, you know, something that never, ever runs out. So um, and then after my relationship with Christ, it would have to be Harriet Tubman uh, said to you before (laughs) she was, you know, she was scared as she could be leading those slaves out. But she feared less. She feared less because she wanted her freedom and she wanted other people to experience freedom. And so therefore, you know, she fearlessly led. And so that I love her life and her story. Um, I would have to say Michelle Obama. (laughs) She is like, man, like, like, I just I can't say enough about her. Um, Just when she was in the White House, when she was while she's not in the White House, I've read her book becoming cover to cover. Um, Just. So many different jewels that she's, you know, released in her book and things. Um, I just remember the one thing is when you when they go low, you go high. And so that's been inspirational. I would say um, the late now Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, that uh, devastating loss this weekend. But, yeah, she was definitely someone that I look to. I've seen her movie, her, you know, I've read her book you know, all of those different types of things um, because she fought tirelessly for the things that she cares about, cared about. And I'm doing the same thing. And so I think there are many more, but those are some of the few um, just bad to the bone women that I really, really look to for inspiration. And I definitely cannot go without saying you and my kids, you know? Um, So sweet. (laughs) No, because... um, you guys have inspired me to become a better person. And that was really why I started going to therapy seven years ago, which was three years before the diagnosis even came. It's because I wanted to be a better wife, a better mom. And, um, yeah. So
1: my mother-in-law just a shout out to her as well is my wife's rock. And, uh, I want to just mention that on your behalf that, uh, mama Donna is special.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, well, that go yeah, that, yeah. Maybe I should have said that. Sorry.
1: Sorry, mom.
0: No, I mean, like, I want to say like she, that goes without saying because she is definitely, she's really the strongest person that I know, like that. I know she's endured a lot and she's come out better for it in many ways. And so we, outside of you, I mean, she's my best friend. So I'm definitely inspired by her, um, her her life, her story, her journey, and um, she still teaches me
1: things. Self care, self love. I know you have some ideologies on that, philosophies on that. Talk about the importance of mental health. You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs. There's not a lot of leaders, CEOs, uh, listening, um, and people in general. How important is mental health and self love and self care?
0: That's a really loaded question. So, <laughs> mental health is really one of the most important things that you could ever have. In many ways, it's—I mean, it's—it's it's just as important as your physical health. Ultimately, if your mind isn't right, it's going to impact your body. So, a lot of times, like you know, when when somebody has bad anxiety, like I did four years ago, um, it starts impacting your health. Um, blood pressure gets high and then it causes heart problems. And then cancers actually come um, as a as a result of stress and inflammation and um, lack of sleep, which if you don't have, you know, if you have anxiety or depression, you're not sleeping enough. And then your serotonin and melatonin gets all whacked out. So it just affects every single thing in your body. And I think that um, as CEOs and people who employ other people, it's so important to take care of your staff's mental health by investing into, you know, group activities and sessions um, and allowing people to take mental health days because um, it, they will be better for it and they will ultimately be more productive. You know, there are several um, studies that actually show that. And I think not waiting for somebody to tell you that they, you know, need help, but just assuming that they're, that's one thing. I don't like to assume a whole lot. I like to lead with curiosity, but I will say that that's one thing that you can benefit from assuming and you can never assume too much is that, you know, everybody has some kind of mental health something, um, whether it's diagnosed or not, whether it's situational or it's clinical. Um, And so we need to give people that space. Even if they don't tell you that they need it, and um, if you do need it, it's okay to say that you need it. So, um, you know, I think self care is a really big buzzword right now. It's so annoying, actually, how big of a buzzword it is.
1: <laughs>
0: it is. It's really annoying because um, it's all over social media, and people's self care Sunday, and let's do face mask and those kinds of things. And that's fine if that's what it is for you. But I think that true self-care really is having a proper, and this kind of segues into self-love too, it's having a proper relationship with yourself. Because your relationship with yourself is going to craft every other relationship that you have in your life. So um, to me, that's what true self-care is taking the time that you need to recuperate from being on a whole weekend or, you know, socializing a whole weekend or, you know, taking the time to rest, taking the time to exercise, um, taking the time to get out in nature, getting off technology, um, you know, all of those things that lend themselves to better performance, um, a higher mental health. Um, I think, that is what's most important that is what self-care looks like it means caring for yourself and if i do not care for myself i'm definitely not going to have the energy to care for you and if i don't love myself i'm definitely not going to love you cuz it starts here inside first it all starts within and um and i think that's the biggest lesson that i have learned in the last not even four years. I would say the last six months.
1: Well, as you know, this year has been a turbulent year. Yeah. Um, personal friends of ours have passed away. Obviously, COVID-19 um, has changed the game in 2020. And then you have social unrest. Yeah. What's happening in our country, racism and prejudice and macro and microaggressions and on and on and on. What a rough year, right? Very rough. Uh is it almost a thought to have maybe corporations invest into the mental health of their oh. staff and employees? Talk about that. Oh my gosh. Done it.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, in fact, one of the things that I've been talking about as it relates to the social unrest is, you know, there's been a lot of conversations about mental or about reparations for me. I feel like if in particular, when you have a minority population at your company, it is so important to invest, um, yes, in everybody's mental health, but in particular right now, because of the um, suffering that the African American community is going through, with COVID, with loss of jobs and income, with um, you know police brutality of whether it's them, themselves or their loved ones, their mental health is really at risk. And just the trauma of being discriminated against, you know, for many of us our entire lives, Um, you know, the trauma of having to have the conversation with a three-year-old about maybe them being treated differently because they have darker skin, you know, those are the types of things that, you know, African-American people in this country have to go through. And so... I think that that's huge for the productivity um, of the workplace as a whole. Um, But I also think, too, you know, allowing people that are white to come together with the Black people and understand what they're going through, to be able to have those group discussions facilitated by professionals. That is, you know, what we call like, (laughs) you know, creating or cultivating a community of mental health. and. That is so important and it's a huge investment and I know it costs a lot, but it's well worth it because I think that it also will give the corporation or company better productivity in the future. When people are happy, they perform better. When people feel like you care and when people feel like you've made an investment in them, they're going to bust their butt to work for you. Because ultimately people just want to know like, they don't. They don't want to be fixed. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. And if they know that they're seen and they're heard by you, and they know that you care about their overall well being, they're going to give their all. That's just. It's just the human nature.
1: And you've done a great job of having a number of outlets for you to help you in your journey. Just recently, you're picking up golf with me. <laughs> uh, our family has been I playing say golf. That. <laughs> Well, I have clubs
0: that still have plastic on them. That yeah. was the mo- the funniest thing Like yesterday, just seeing that.
1: But taking walks, right? exercising, and getting yeah, out of nature sure. certainly helps.
0: For sure. I, I think over the last 12 weeks, um, I have really picked up on caring for myself in a physical activity way. I think that the endorphins that are released. When you exercise the dopamine that is released is better than you can get in any supplement, any pill, the, um, I don't know what it's called, but there's a chemical that's released like in the air, like from plants and all that kinds of stuff that just when you go out in nature, it is proven to make you feel better. So it's, yeah, it's been a huge blessing to, to be able to, um, be able to take that time and do that. And I'm going to continue to do it now to the point where it's actually on my schedule. So never again will I get to the point where I'm not taking that hour to myself every day to be able to do some kind of physical activity of some sort. And um, yeah, just really setting those firm boundaries. I think that that's really important.
1: So you have your blog, you have the nonprofit that you established this year. You've been really strategic in taking full advantage of Downtown. the downtime we've yeah. had this year. And yeah. you and your team have been strategizing for opportunities. Tell yeah. me what's next. You have two books that will be out come November.
0: No, just one is out.
1: Well, the one book is out, but then or, you have released another book. Oh, right, the right, Q. right.
0: So B for B is out already. And then I Is
1: there a potential podcast? What's next for IKEA well, in the next few months and even next year?
0: We're working on that. I mean, I'm thinking about I'm cooking up a podcast, <laughs> but we'll see, you know, what happens with that. Um, I definitely um, am excited about the second book um, coming to the public. Um, I've already started drafting and working on the third book, which, you know, um, I didn't take very much time off um, and probably because it was fresh. And so, I have to live out my experiences before I write them. So, yeah. So that's what we're working on now with the nonprofit. Um, we're just getting that up and running. We are actually going to take Authentic You and make it a full-fledged curriculum for teenage girls um, that I will meet with every other Saturday, hopefully starting in September of 2021. So, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about that because, as you know, I love working with women every age, every race, but to be able to give back to minority girls that are, you know, teenagers is my sweet spot, especially when we're trying to um, educate them on self-care, self-love, mental health, all those different types of things that I love to talk about. So yeah, that's where a lot of my energy is going to go probably in 2021. It's finishing this third book and, and the nonprofit.
1: And hopefully more trips with me. This COVID well, situation. I
0: hope so. Uh, <laughs> I mean, man, ooh, I love to travel.
1: So. Yeah, we'll, we'll get it in. I promise you that. Yeah. Um, what would you tell, looking back, your 16 year old self?
0: Wow. Um, pretty simply, not to take life so seriously. And that laughter is good for the soul, it's medicine. And it's okay to change your mind and not have it all figured out.
1: Wow. Yeah. What's the funniest thing about being married to me?
0: Well, (laughs) let me see. Let me take this microphone here. (laughs) (laughs) How many things can I say? Let me count them. Um, Well, what I was just saying before we came on the podcast was these funny songs that you make up. And that you sing, you want to be a closet singer. And that is, your secret is out now. He wants to be an, a singing star, you guys. And so that's what he does. That's the funniest thing. And he, and the funny thing is, too, that I can sing. So he really, really gives his best effort. And I think when he's not joking around, he actually has a decent voice. But it's when he puts the extra sauce on it and does all the little squigglies with his voice that is what is hilarious. Sorry, I just exposed you.
1: you cr- take great joy in that, don't you? you
0: know? I, I do. Cause everyone should have someone who sings like you in their life. Like you sing everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I, and your raps.
1: Yeah. That's not my strong suit <laughs> uh, at all. I will say this. You are an incredible example to, to people. And I think the most impressive thing about you, um, there's a number of impressive things about my wife, but you have a great balance between work and family life. Yeah. Yeah. How important is that?
0: Oh, it's everything. Um, That means a lot to me. So, you know, when the kids are out for the summer, I take a little break too. I'm not doing a whole lot because I want to, you know, they're getting older. So I want to be able to create memories and, you know, just spend a lot of time with them as much as I can. And when they're in school, that's when I take advantage. So what did I tell you? I said between 10 and 2. Those are my four working hours a day. That's when I schedule everything. This is an exception because you're my husband and I made it happen. But if you were not my husband, I would not be recording a podcast at 5. 5.
1: So you have boundaries, basically.
0: Oh, um, ev- yes, yeah. boundaries. Yeah. lots of boundaries. Um, and I and I'm happy with that. I love that
1: because yeah. that's how I function the best. That's so good for for those who are listening. It's important to have boundaries. Yeah. Um, protecting your sanity, your happiness.
0: Yeah. No, no is a full sentence. No is a complete sentence. Bars. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. No is a complete sentence, and I think that's what I learned in the last four years is how to say no and not have to overexplain it because the more you overexplain yourself, oh my gosh, you get yourself in trouble. Just say no, I'm not available to do that. Can we pick another day? If you want to do it. If you don't, the answer is just no.
1: What a joy. <laughs> what a joy. This is by far my favorite podcast because it's my favorite person on this podcast. Akia, thank you for being on this podcast with your hubby and exposing me to the world Um, I love you very much and thank you again I'm excited for you and I'm happy for you genuinely
0: thank you honey I appreciate it thank you for having me on the show and uh, it's so cool to know you still admire me I admire you the feelings are mutual and uh, yeah thanks
1: this is Betty on yourself with the Reds Okay, that was amazing. Isn't it obvious why I married this woman? Her servant's heart and compassion to help people find freedom and be fearless are inspiring. And she continues to make a huge difference in so many lives, not just mine. Well, that's it, everyone. The last episode for this season of Betting on Yourself. It has been an amazing time. And I want to thank you all for your continued support of this podcast. I'm just getting started. There are some incredible guests coming up in season two that you won't want to miss. So make sure you are following me on social and signed up for my newsletter so you won't miss an update. Go to michaelred.com to subscribe. I'm Michael Red, and remember, you are the secret to your success.